Good Ohio. I'm your host, James Hayes, and this is the What's Good Ohio podcast, where we talk to the activists, organizers, visionaries, and good troublemakers coming together to make our state better for everyone. No exceptions. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Rothenberg from Policy Matters. What's good, Sarah? It is a good week to be in Ohio, and James, uh, what isn't good? We got issue one and two passed. Got funding for the libraries. It's it's a good one. We got a lot of stuff done. We got a lot of stuff done. And yeah, Michigan football is going up in flames right now before our eyes. Um and uh yeah, so it's a it's a it's a good time to be an Ohioan or on the map electorally. Um how have you been since the last time uh that we talked? Good, really good. We had our Policy Matters Ohio like yearly retreat a couple weeks ago. We went out to Bellwether Farm, just like a kind of retreat setup where you it felt kind of like summer camp. We all had our own little cabins, but then we'd like meet for for lunches and for planning and such. And so yeah, besides that, nothing too exciting. How about you? I've been doing well. I've been doing well. Yeah, that sounds really nice. I'm sure it was beautiful this time of year, uh, being out there with all the, uh, you know, the Ohio fall scenery. Um, yeah, I've been good. I've been good. Though. Last week, my wife, um, she, she's working uh, part-time on this this project called The Real Housewives of Politics, which uh, they're uh, organizing fans of The Real Housewives franchise and other Bravo series. Um, and they went to BravoCon in Las Vegas. And so I, I was um with uh with 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 our son Felix for 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 a, f- a number of days um solo which was which was a lot. And she had a great time uh which was beautiful. Um I could tell by your face that you might also be a Bravo fan. I mean, I'm not even a rep- a reality TV fan, but that just is so cool and so smart and I love the idea of using reality TV for political organizing. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a cool experiment. I'm excited to see um, where they're able to take it. Um, but yeah, I'm, and I'm really excited for the conversation we're going to have today. Um, today, we're talking about what's good Ohio. But the uh, wait, I'm going to do that again. Yeah, should I do this part? Yeah, I'll just do this part. And then we can just hop into questions. All right. <clears throat> today, we're talking about what's good the November 2023 election. And there's lots that is good for us to talk about it. Ohio made history on November 7th, 2023, as more than 2.1 million Ohio voters across the state came together and decisively passed issue one to protect reproductive freedom and abortion rights in Ohio. Issue one passed with 56.6% of the vote, making it clear that Ohio is a pro-choice state. We'll also be debriefing issue 38 later with Molly Martin. about what's good with issue one we welcome back our very first guest for what's good ohio podcast jordan close as well as lena collins manager of social impact of ohio women's alliance to discuss this historic win welcome what's good joe how are you both feeling after this amazing win i'm thriving you know thank a black woman go have an abortion go smoke a blunt uh oh h i o hi oh 
actually. Um, yeah, just to bounce off what Jordan said, definitely thriving. The vibes are very high. The weather has been very beautiful. It's been raining. Good blessings on our repro movement and all the hard work that we've been doing for countless years um, just to finally get a win. Um, and two issues that we uh, support under reproductive justice, weed and abortion access. So it's just been a really great week. Ohio Women's Alliance and Ohio Women's Alliance Action Fund were two of the Black-led organizations in the OURR campaign, centering the voices of Black women in the fight for reproductive freedom. How many voters did your team talk to, and what was the energy out on the field as this approached Election Day? Yeah, so we were actually uh, the only Black-led reproductive justice organization um, as one of the founding members of OURR. And Rhiannon, our fearless leader, was the only Black woman to sit on the EC um, until she pulled in her friend at New Voices uh, for Reproductive Justice. And our uh, campaign was able to talk to 1.3 million voters on our phone side. Um, and Lena actually launched our very first door program, um, which was very successful. I'll let her talk about those numbers. Yeah. So while on the doors, um, it was very intentional to reach outreach to our communities, black and brown. Um, we exceeded our goals um, and we were able to reach just short, shortly under 19,000 um, canvas uh, doors out in the field. Sure. So I would like to mention um, we launched our door program October 11th, the first day of early vote. Um, they were knocking doors up until seven o'clock on election night. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Like, what were some of those conversations like on the doors with people? I don't think anyone thought it, you know, this issue would would necessarily pass so overwhelmingly. So I'd love to hear like, what what, what were your canvassers hearing from people? So definitely out in the field, it was like very positive, especially like the age group, because you know we were targeting more like an eighteen to forty year old base, and like some of the conversations in particular were just like from fathers who also have young children, young black daughters um, who were just like concerned about like what the language was saying, because obviously, you know, there was a lot of misinformation going around. So like just being able to like have a one to one conversation and just like kind of dismantle all of that, like left voters like, oh, OK, that's how I understand. Like this is for future generations. You know, it is very important for you know, young women to have access to whatever that type of care looks like. Um, other conversations were like, oh, I'm, you know, a little bit confused about like, the, I thought I voted on issue one back in August. And I'm like, well, that was a power grab. This, however, is going to enshrine that we have reproductive freedom and abortion access in our Ohio State Constitution. And we don't have to go back um, to the six-week ban that was in a stay in the court. Thank you, Hamilton County. And like, it was just really like positive reinforcement when we were out in the field talking to like our communities and like what what's at stake for us in particular. I mean, we've seen over 
30 abortion bans pass in Ohio in the past 20 years have seen over half of our clinics close in the state. And we know that there was not a path to victory or a path to liberation through our court system. Um, like Lena said, shout out to Hamilton County, but that's really the only win we've seen in the past few decades. And even that is less than a win, really just putting a band-aid on uh, the state of access in Ohio. And so I think Ohio voters were very energized, very mobilized, especially black and brown voters. We saw black voters vote yes on issue one at uh, 84%, I believe it was. So I think that is just a testament to how strongly our communities feel about having power over their lives and their futures and bodily autonomy. The energy from this campaign, from the signature collection phase all the way up to election day was unmatched and it was really beautiful to witness. Yeah, no, it's, that's, it's amazing. It's amazing work that y'all did, um, the quantity, the quality, the outcome. Um, and already anti-abortion members of the General Assembly uh, immediately expressed their intention to defy the will of the voters by preventing their laws from being removed based on uh, our improved state constitution. Um, so I'm wondering, like, what kind of reactionary blowback do you expect and how do you plan to overcome it? I think that for the most part, reproductive justice advocates, our allies and friends in the reproductive rights space are never really surprised with what our uh, anti-abortion legislature will do. Um, it is always disappointing and disheartening that they continue to not listen to uh, what Ohioans have made clear that they want and deserve. I would hope that they would just take the L and let Ohioans have access to their own bodily autonomy. Um, but if that does not happen, we will see them in court. Um, we are very prepared to continue this fight, um, whether that is in the court around this ballot or continuing to get us closer to reproductive justice. In the meantime, OWA and our besties at Abortion Fund of Ohio are going to make sure that people have financial and uh, resources to get access to care, whether they are in Ohio or people coming from out of state now that we are a haven state. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cheaters never prosper. And so <laughs> as we saw that happen back in August when they tried to cheat um, with the power grab, we saw it again with the disinformation, misinformation, misleading information that they were posting at actual polls, um, which I'm pretty sure is legal. But, you know, they always bend the rules in their favor. Uh, but like Jordan said, it would just be nice if they could just hold this ill uh, because Ohioans have made it very clear. 57 uh, to their 43 percent of Ohioans made it very clear. Um, I feel like those are the exact um, mere results from August election, actually. Um, so we've made it clear not once but twice that we deserve access and we will vote for access. And we did. And we won. So. Yeah, totally. Even Republican voters um, were, were supporting this in, in you know huge numbers. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's true. I, I think you're right. You know, I, I think this might be one of those issues that they, they keep taking it on. They might just keep losing. Um, 
So, yeah. And it's really because of the, the work that you know, groups like y'all have been doing for so yeah, long. Yeah, I think to your point about Republicans voting in favor of issue one, like the majority of Ohioans and the majority of Americans support access to reproductive freedom, support access to abortion. Um, and I think that abortion has always been made to be this political pawn is often the first concession um, from the Democratic Party, often the first uh, thing that is attacked on the right. Um, but the average person, the average American, the average Ohioan just simply wants to make their own decisions about their lives and their future. Um, and so I'm hoping that this one in Ohio and the six other ones we've seen nationwide will hopefully signal to our leaders across the two-party system that they need to start listening to what our communities are saying we actually want. Um, no, that's right, Jordan, for sure. And, and, and hopefully all these wins combined uh, sort of show um, that there is th this consensus. Um, this really is common, a common sense issue um, and folks need to leave it alone. Um, and as we move forward, um, we all know there's going to be a struggle to define you know, sort of what happened, why it happened, what lessons we can take from this campaign. I was reading an article uh, the, the morning after the election, um, a political article. Um, they were talking about all the wins that um, sort of had happened across the country for the Democratic Party and what it might mean for the future and da 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 da, da. Um, And they were they mentioned Ohio in this article and they said, quote, the Democratic Party was the driving force behind a ballot measure to enshrine the right to an abortion in the Ohio State Constitution. You know, so I was just like wondering, you know, obviously I, I know like the campaign led you know uh so much and it took so much to sort of get this campaign off the ground i was saying what 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 do you want people listening to know about how this campaign won and what lessons we should take from this achievement i am very grateful very thankful to all of our partners that supported us in winning issue one and i want to make sure that the black and brown organizers that have been doing this work for years for decades um that have been raising the alarm about row falling have been raising the alarm about the criminalization of pregnancy and abortion have been trying to make clear the through lines between reproductive justice and how it affects every facet of our lives, um, really doing the on-the-ground relational organizing and the mobilization movement building that we needed to get to this moment. Um, I want to make sure that those are the people that are centered and getting credit for this win. I want to make sure that the people that have been spending the last few years of their life begging a lot of Democratic parties, not just ODP, a lot of politicians, not just Ohio politicians, to simply say the word abortion, um, I would hope that they would also take the time to acknowledge the work that has been done um, before they came in and supported us in this win. Yeah, um, just to piggyback off of that, um, it's really important to listen to storytellers, um, those who have, you know, actually been in the actual process of how this works and how this runs. It's important that we center them first um, because those are their lived experiences. Um, like Jordan stated, it's been very like pro-choice instead of just saying the word abortion um, because that's what it is and that's 
what we're essentially achieve, trying to achieve with liberation. Um, and that encompasses saying the actual word. I just want to note that black and brown people um, made up a very large number and it was because of them while we achieved this win on Tuesday. It's because of the 84% of black people that turned out. It's because the 74% of the Latin community that turned out to vote. It's because of groups like Ohio Women's Alliance um, that actually centered our communities through multiple events throughout the whole entire year, through community conversations, through back to school drives, through bachata events, through Dia de los Muertos uh, invitations, um, educating our community, centering our communities about what's at stake for us to win this fight. I'm not saying that credit shouldn't be given where it's due. And I'm not saying that like we ultimately were the only ones in this fight, but we're tired of our voices not being heard sometimes. And that is essentially what reproductive justice is. This is why we branched off of the reproductive rights movement because they don't center what black and brown people, black and brown communities need. And what we need is for you to share the spotlight sometimes, to thank us sometimes, to acknowledge that yes, you actually could not have did this without us. You don't need us until you need us. And that's the harsh reality. And that leads us perfectly into this next question, too. So OWA was founded by Rian and Carnes in 2019, and you all have been leading this fight ever since then. Uh, for the past nine months, it's clear you all worked extremely hard in passing issue one and restoring and protecting abortion rights. But this is just one chapter, albeit a very exciting and monumental one in all of the work that has been done to get us here. How can you build on what you've learned along the way to take this fight into the future? What's next for OWA and for the broader repro movement in Ohio? Yeah, I think um, first I just want to say that Rhiannon particularly has been working on this fight for well over a year, having conversations with the rest of the executive committee, um, bringing in our other partners before we even got to the stage of announcing that we were going to take on this fight in 23, before we even got to the stage of starting to collect signatures. So I just want to really uplift her for um, being, again, the only Black woman on the EC at that time to make sure that um, our reproductive justice values are being upheld as much as possible. Um, and that's the work that we're going to continue to do. I hope that this win signals to uh, national partners and especially national funders that Ohio is not a uh, losing cause or a losing state. Ohio deserves to be invested in. Ohio is worth fighting for. And the number one way to do that is invest in organizations like Ohio Women's Alliance that are doing really strong relational organizing programs that are doing a lot of youth leadership development that are doing a lot of political education that is not tied to uh, gatekeeping that we normally see around a lot of political education. Um, you don't have to go to college or read Marx or have uh, a, so much political affiliation to know that people deserve access to their bodies. People deserve to be able to take care of their families. People deserve not to live in food deserts. Uh, our children deserve not to have higher rates of asthma just based on the zip code they live in. Those are things that uh, 
everyone should be able to agree on. And so our work is going to be continuing to build our membership base, continuing to teach people about what reproductive justice is and continue to run our programs. And Lena actually is our manager of social impact and runs so many amazing programs that I'll let her talk about. Yeah. So like Jordan stated, we'll continue educating, um, being advocates, growing advocates. And we do this again through our membership base, um, through our reproductive justice cohort, which is um, eight young individuals, 18 to the 27 year um, year range. And um, they've just been with us throughout this whole entire process. They've been learning how to campaign, how to organize, how to mobilize, how to uh, host their back to school drive, um, how to learn about domestic violence under the reproductive justice framework. They're just learning all these types of tools that you can t- carry on that can like be a career choice for you if you choose. Not People look at this sometimes as like, oh, I'm just volunteering my time. But it's like, this is like actual work that like does not stop after election day. We keep, we keep it going. This is not... <laughs> A moment it's a movement and so we continue moving forward and that's what we're going to do at ohio women's alliance our senior campaign manager Ana martinez has her change makers cohort which is kind of like a sister program of the reproductive justice and they kind of go through the same um, process a little bit longer um, than our reproductive justice cohort but they learn about the electoral process community organizing capacity building voter education we're just uplifting young people because at the end of the day, it's going to be our voices in our future that is determined by who we elect into these powerful positions um, that make these laws. Um, it's important that they reflect us and who we are as a community and who we are as a generation. And I'm wondering what effects we think that like issue one passing now is going to have on the number of abortion clinics that we have in the state, as well as do we know if there'll be effects on like crisis pregnancy centers and these like, you know, sham uh, clinics that exist as well? Like, do we think we'll see a change in that landscape uh, following this? Or is that continuing different work that we need to still do? It's definitely continuing work that we still need to do. I mean, CPCs are given millions of dollars by Ohio's government um, from budgets, from grants, and it is just really disheartening to see them literally funding lies to Ohioans. And I I mean, we've lost over half of our clinics in the state. And so there will have to be a lot of rebuilding that is done now that issue one has passed. Um, But I'm very hopeful for the future. I'm hopeful that, again, we'll see more of an investment in Ohio, especially that we are a haven state. I mean, there are so many other Midwestern and Southern states that have very limited access, if not a total ban. And all of those people also need care on top of Ohioans that need care. Um, and so, I mean, if any, if any funders are listening to this, come open a clinic slash dispensary in Ohio. Um, I'll work there. Come here to get your abortion and get you some legal (laughs) marijuana as well. Yes. (laughs) My best friend is the program manager at Abortion Fund of Ohio and uh, supports 
all of the Ohioans contacting AFO. And our dream, um, me and Lexi, is to open a full spectrum uh, birthing center that doubles as a dispensary. You can get coupons for both. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like a reward system. Spend as many points here and you can get a free abortion. Uh, the world is your oyster. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think that there will be a lot of invest of investment in Ohio. Um, all eyes were on, on Ohio this year. Um, we were the only state doing an issue one, a, a reproductive freedom ballot initiative. Um, so I think that's going to funnel in some cha-ching. And I think we're going to see a lot of divestment from CPCs um, because, again, they use taxpayer funds to uh, build these places um, that have no actual medical professionals that actually work there um so yeah bring your money to ohio for weed and abortions and i'm just excited about you know all of the tax income that we are going to be able to put back into our communities instead of all of us driving out of state to put it into other communities <laughs> yeah totally you know we, we had uh, a number of levies pass here locally but It'd be nice to not have to fund all of our services so much from property taxes um, uh, and, and all of that. But yeah, anyway, so it's been such a pleasure to have y'all on. Uh, but before we leave, uh, do y'all have any closing thoughts, any gems you want to leave the people with? Thank a black and brown woman. Uh, donate to Abortion Fund of Ohio, as well as Ohio Women's Alliance. Um, and yeah. We did an abortion forever and ever and ever and ever. Yes. Ohio against the world forever. Yes. Donate to your local abortion fund and get involved because the fight is not over. It has really just begun. <laughs> the marathon continues, as Nipsey Hussle would say. So I know y'all will be back at it in 2024. There's a lot in the ballot next year. We'll, we'll talk about that down the road, I'm sure um and y'all just keep growing y'all just keep going so thank you so much um look forward to seeing y'all both in the, in the real world sometime soon um i'm sure i'll see you in the field down the road thank you thank you so much We are also joined today by Molly Martin from the People's Budget Cleveland campaign, the charter amendment that would have given residents power over how 2% of the city's budget gets spent. Issue 38 got 48.94% of the vote, but ultimately fell 1,388 votes short of passing. Uh, how are we feeling after the election, Molly? I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I'm a train that's trying to stop, but it takes a long time for a train to come to a complete stop. So I'm like, what can I do that's moving my feet and keeping my mind going, but it's not focusing on a, on a campaign, but I'm feeling really grateful. And I don't know, I'm really into fall and into seasons of dying. And I think it's kind of a reflective time to go into a period of waiting and stillness to reflect on all the different wins that we've had as a campaign over the last several months, trying to pass issue 38. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you know, 
Y'all got so close, so close, so close. And um, we could argue that y'all actually still won a lot. Um, you took this, this, this concept, uh, brought it to life as a campaign. Y'all had conversations with tens of thousands of Clevelanders. Nearly 32,000 voters voted for a policy that many learned about only in the last year. Even in city council statement in the morning after the election, they acknowledged that, uh, quote, issue 38 revealed, we need to do more work on civic engagement, participation, and awareness. What wins and lessons are you taking away from this campaign? There are so many. I think it is kind of wild to see that 32,000 people voted for issue 38. When you look at the um, last election we had in Cleveland in 2021, when Justin Bibb was elected as mayor, uh, there were 10,000 more Cleveland voters who came to the polls on Tuesday. You know, I think that we weren't just thinking about issue 38 in Cleveland. We were aware of the fact that so many voters were coming to vote for issue one, for issue two. There was also a community college levy on the ballot in, in Cleveland. And then I think it really showed us that, you know, people are willing to turn out when they feel like there are things on the ballot that r represent issues that deeply impact people's lives. And, you know, we live in a state in particular where we don't feel like the people we elect to represent us are doing that as well. And what does it look like to drive up engagement and people power building by bringing people out to the ballot and being part of a movement that's driven by issues? Um, so there's just the turnout in Cleveland overall. And, you know, we got some more breakdown data from the Board of Elections in the last day. And there are 17 wards in the city of Cleveland. And issue 38 won the majority in nine out of the 17 of those wards, which is pretty awesome. Um, and we're really proud of the fact that, you know, there are two wards in particular that had had more vote no um, results. And those were predominantly white wards. And our campaign is proud of the fact that the wards in Cleveland that have been most historically impacted by disinvestment were the wards that that passed issue 38. And I think that that speaks to the power base that we're trying to, to build and the folks that we were trying to reach in Cleveland. And, and ultimately, those were the folks who who felt like a bold new policy, like the people's budget is something that they wanted to vote for. Excellent. Yeah. And like you were saying, this isn't the end of the story. It's only the beginning. Uh, issue 38 was just the first step in changing Cleveland's political culture as you guys took on corporate interests and the political establishment. Uh, like you were talking about power building, what plans do you or the rest of PB Cle uh, have in continuing to build people power, centering the needs of the community and challenges challenge the city's political structure? We've been getting that question a lot the last several days. I keep wanting to tell people, aren't we, aren't we allotted a season of rest? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to coming back with the full coalition in December to debrief more fully and to strategize about what's next. I think, you know, in the day after the election, our committee came together and we were really reflecting on some of the relationships that we um, had built over the last several months, in particular with groups that we feel like represent the sort of power shifting narrative that really resonated with this, this step in our campaign for the people's budget from going to, okay, let's just focus on the policy and do a pilot to like, how are we putting something like participatory budgeting in the context of a power shifting narrative in the city around 
asking deeper questions of who has the power to decide and what does it mean for residents to create a stronger mandate to our elected officials to say that we need to stop making decisions with our city's moral document, the budget, that cater to the interests of corporations in Cleveland, but more um, centrally the communities in Cleveland in particular. And I think that, you know, there's that vision, but then there's participatory budgeting the people's budget as a policy. And I think it's to be seen what the next step is in terms of a campaign. But I think that what feels really, you know, important is that this work has to exist outside of election cycles. So what does it look like to build a more long-term strategy and vision with organizations and with people trying to build power and challenge the establishment in Cleveland? Um, because, you know, we're now two election cycles in where residents have had to go to the ballot to tell our elected officials, like, if you're not going to work with the community, then are we going to, you know, are you going to be going back to your corporate donors to fund your political action committee to run against citizen-led ballot initiatives? I think that we're trying to shift that narrative around how do elected officials more more deeply represent the community and how do you work with them so it's not always going to the ballot just to create a policy that more more deeply represents the the community and i'm really deeply committed in the ways that charter reform at the municipal level can be a part of that broader strategy of um asking harder questions about economic democracy and what does like what does it look like for for people to build power and to have a strategy to at the local level um, to challenge this kind of corporate monopoly control that we see having so much influence in our democracy and how that's extremely harmful to cities uh, like Cleveland, you know, where so many people um, have basic needs that aren't being met and, and the ways that our policy decisions and budget decisions as a city should be prioritizing that. Um, so that, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I, I think what's beautiful is that it's not like my question to answer alone. It's not the People's Budget Steering Committee's question to answer alone. It's yeah, no, we, that was uh, that was a lot, but it was it was a great uh, summation of what some of the next steps are going to be for, for what y'all are doing. Y'all are certainly afforded a season of rest, um, a chance to recuperate um, from the grueling work that y'all you know were out there talking to people every day um knocking doors um and it's you know it's really interesting that's when you said earlier how there, there were more people that turned out to vote this year um than voted in the mayoral elections and obviously there was also you know the statewide um issues uh you know with uh, abortion rights and uh and you know marijuana on the ballot at the state level um, but i think this goes to to prove your point more that voters do care about issues and will turn out issues um whether it's statewide issues whether it's local issues um and you know i, I think long term the work that y'all did this this cycle is exactly what we need to see people do um in cleveland more in around in other cities around the state um you know i, I really think like part of why folks don't vote more often is because our cities are stifling democratic participation um, by not having competitive races, usually not really you know, having these political machines that just sort of churn along business as usual. And there's there's not, you know, real contestation happening um, all the time. And so folks aren't in the habit of voting, of being engaged in authentic ways about uh, how they want their cities to be governed. Um, and so we end up losing statewide elections as well. You know, so I think the work that you're doing of, of rebuilding um sort of trust and democracy in cleveland and cleveland in particular historically has been such a important 
electorate uh, for the state and also the, the country. Um, I think that, that work, the investment that y'all put in this year is going to going to really pay off, um, you know, as we look to 2024 uh, and beyond. Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, you know, I'm really proud of what y'all were able to accomplish, even though you fell short. Um, I think, you know, how close you, 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 you made it, um, you proved that, um, you know, the, the opposition uh, was sort of out of step with, with reality, you know, how they were talking about the issue and, um, you know, yeah. So whatever y'all decide to do next, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, what's in store. Thanks, James. Yeah. It's kind of interesting on Wednesday morning. I, you know, we had already had these drafted winning and losing statements and I was really surprised at how much I was merging the two of them together. And it kind of, yeah, I mean, to me, it was like, well, what does it really mean to win and to lose? Like, yes, there's this direct specific outcome, but it feels kind of wrong to focus on that in particular, because obviously the type of power we're trying to build in the community is something that's more long term in terms of um, building grassroots leadership amongst organizations, but also among future leaders of Cleveland and individuals. And it's kind of interesting how narratives of power like align with narratives around democracy. And I think something we've like obviously seen nationally and locally in the last several years is just how vulnerable democracy really is. But I also think in the same sense, like by trying to build more grassroots movements to challenge power, you're showing that like what was once considered untouchable is now seen as vulnerable. And that's like why we feel like we're winning. And just, you know, being humble and, and having the perspective to know that like having a more populist message trying to talk about who has the power to make decisions like really has to interrogate a lot of underlying beliefs that people have and then that's not going to happen like in a hundred days that we had to run a campaign right but to know that we were being outspent two to one to know that there was six thousand drop-off votes compared to the total number of people voted knowing that there could have been supporters of the people's budget within that i feel like there's just a lot of excitement that like the specific outcome didn't necessarily represent some of the deeper reflections that we can have on what winning looks like um and yeah and i think part of the fun and and part of what's really serious and like seems like such a big potential is really showing people who have felt that their power and sense of control over an established entrenched structure is is not as untouchable as that they thought it was and i think that that is something that should be really motivating for the community to be like well we can do this again and so i'm here for that <laughs> yeah totally yeah thank you so much uh molly for everything you've been done and hopping on the show to give us a sort of little debrief um on how things turned out for y'all up there in Cleveland, working on issue 38 uh, with the PB Clee uh, coalition. Um, is, do you have any closing thoughts uh, before we before we sign off? I feel like if there's anyone listening to this podcast that's more of a legal expert than I am, which hopefully is a lot more people than me, I really want to like strategize on what it looks like to craft legislation and policies that are not vulnerable to preemption in Ohio. I think it's been really interesting to see how issue 38 caught, you know, wind of the state house and what it means for communities to hold out faith that like they do have control over their local communities and how do we um, make people feel like um, there still should be confidence in having these fights, even if you don't win, even if something's preempted and what it, what that work requires. So if anyone has thoughts on that, I think that's interesting. And I obviously just want to extend like my deepest thanks to the Ohio Voice team from like the moral encouragement to like the technical help provided by your data folks. And obviously my new bestie, Angela, has been um, probably like top three um, 
things that I feel most grateful and, and happy Aww. about um, during the last several months getting to this point. So thank you all. Uh, appreciate that. Angela, Adam. Yeah, they, they, they really, I know that I'll speak for both of them. I know they really enjoyed working on with y'all and supporting the campaign um, and anything that y'all do in the future. We'll, we would love to support uh, for sure. Thanks for having me on. We're just keeping in touch and seeing other cities being encouraged to maybe try and do something like the people's budget soon. And with that, our first season of What's Good Ohio is a wrap. There's lots of good stuff happening here in Ohio. We touched on democracy, alternative care response, curriculum campaigns, participatory budgeting, and of course, abortion rights. As always, visit whatsgoodohio.com for show notes and links and subscribe to What's Good Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back after the holidays and we'll see you next year to keep talking about what's good here in Ohio.